In this morning's passage, James will answer the question, if a Christian can live by faith alone, apart from works. And as we'll soon discover, James will make the case that there is, in fact, a faith that works. So before we get into the word, let's ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you that you've brought everyone here, Lord. As we get into your word right now, I pray you speak to us mightily, Lord. Speak to us and tell us exactly what you want to show us, what you want to reveal to us, Lord. There may be some people here that, are, that need to hear this message, that haven't heard a message like this, Lord. Um, I pray that you, you show them what it is they need to know, Lord. And, and those watching also, Lord, this message or listening to it, that you will um, reveal yourself gloriously, mightily to them, Lord. So they may fall more in love with you, so they may draw near to you, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity. Use me, Lord, and, and, and fill this place with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So James chapter 2, that's what will be James chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 14. And there the word of God says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Now, having just spoken in the previous section about generosity and showing mercy, James here now moves on to a new topic that was just as controversial back then or just as controversial today as it was back then in the early church. Now, speaking directly to his readers, he approaches this subject, this topic, with two rhetorical questions. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but doesn't have works? Can such faith save him? This question is like asking, what good is it to carry carry around a driver's license? if you can actually drive. Now, people may be called Christians and claim to be part of the faith, but do they have genuine faith? Do they have uh, genuine results that prove to those around them that their confession is, uh, is authentic? And this is the question that James is asking here. Just because you say you're a Christian, are you really one? So just to be clear, James's question isn't about someone who truly has faith and yet isn't saved, but rather about someone who only professes to have faith. It's somebody who says they have faith, but nothing about their life, nothing about how they live, how they behave, says or indicates that they do. For example, a popular celebrity 
You can think of any celebrity you want, musician, your favorite athlete, or a politician. We see all of them on TV every once in a while saying, you know, I praise my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to thank the Lord. They're wearing crosses around their necks and, and you know, they're, you know, they give a shout out to, 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 to God. They give a shout out to Jesus. Even politicians, you'll see them out there quoting scripture, quoting Bible verses and saying, yes, you know, I get all my good morals and ethics and I follow Jesus Christ and, and this is what I've learned from the Bible. And they publicly claim to follow Jesus. But in reality, behind closed doors, they aren't living like one. They're all talk and no walk. So, as he continues here, before anyone can make an argument that faith consisting of words only saves a person, James gives an illustration to show them what he means. And that illustration goes a little something like this. A poor believer came into a fellowship without proper clothing and in need of food. The person that's all talk and no walk noticed the visitor and saw his needs, but he didn't do anything to meet the needs. All he did was say a few pious words, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed. In the end, the visitor went away just as hungry and naked as he came in. This example is meant to not only show the readers, to show us the correct answer to his question, but also to make his point clear. Faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Now the Apostle John said something similar in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him. The, implica- the implication should be clear and that it doesn't. If there's true, genuine love, it reaches out to others. And if there's real faith, it produces acts of compassion. See, any declaration of faith that doesn't result in a changed life and good works is a false declaration. That kind of faith is a dead faith. The great theologian John Calvin wrote this. It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. You see, the person with dead faith really just has that intellectual knowledge, that intellectual experience. And in his mind, he knows the doctrines of salvation. He knows about Jesus and he knows what Jesus came to do, but has never truly submitted himself to God and has never really trusted Christ for salvation. They know the right words. And you might have heard this term. They, they, they speak Christianese, but their works, their works don't match their words. John 3.16 tells us that faith in Christ brings life. So where there's life, there must be growth and there must be fruit. So we need to watch out. We need to be careful. We need to be mindful, not just 
to look look out for others who who just have that intellectual but we must pay attention to ourselves to make sure we're not falling into that hole falling into that trap of just having that intellectual faith see no one can come to christ by faith and remain the same any more than he can stick a metal fork inside an electrical outlet and remain the same see dead faith is not saving faith and is counterfeit faith the danger in it is that it lulls a person into a false uh, confidence of eternal life deal moody visited a prison called the tombs to preach to the inmates after he had finished speaking moody talked with a number of men in their cells he asked each prisoner this question what brought you here Again and again, he received rep replies like this. I don't deserve to be here. I was framed. I was falsely accused. I was given an unfair trial. Not one inmate could, would admit that he was guilty. Finally, Moody found a man with his face buried in his hands, weeping. And what's wrong, my friend, he inquired. The prisoner responded, my sins are more than I can bear. Relieved to find at least one man who would recognize his guilt and his need for forgiveness, the evangelist exclaimed, Thank God for that. Moody then had the joy of pointing him to a saving knowledge of Christ, a knowledge that released him from the shackles of sin. Now, before I move on to the next part of this passage, I want to point out what James is and isn't saying here. In verses 14 through 17, there are four things I see that James wants us to be clear about. First, he isn't talking, or he's talking about faith that isn't backed up by works, a dead faith. Second, faith is observed by the outward display of compassionate acts. Third, there's a, there's a distinction, a clear distinction between intellectual faith by just simply knowing that God exists and a saving faith, believing that Jesus died for your sins. And fourth, a professed faith. A professed faith not seen by others is absolutely useless. Now here's what James, what James isn't doing or saying. He's not making an argument against what Paul taught in Romans 5.1, where he said, having been justified, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And also, where he wrote in Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Again, he's not arguing with Paul. He's not arguing against what Paul is saying here. Now, he's not saying that faith and works will save, nor that one is justified before God by faith or works. You see, he's not really contrasting faith and works, excuse me, as two alternative options in approaching God. James is contrasting a defective faith that produces no works and a genuine faith that does result in action so if you consider yourself a Christian here this morning if you're watching and you consider yourself a believer 
I want to challenge you by asking you if you're displaying these three characteristics of genuine faith. Do you have a faith that's involved? A believer who has genuine faith will be prompted to act when a need is presented. Now, this applies to the needs of a fellow believer and could also apply to the needs of the church. The New Living Translation puts 1 Peter 4.10 like this. God has given each and every one of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. As a Christian, you're called to be involved, not indifferent. You see, if you know of a need and the Lord puts it in your heart to act on that need, take that step of faith. Take that step of faith and just obey Him. By doing so, you'll be blessing, not only will you be blessing the person who, who has that need, but God, you'll see that God will also bless you. Proverbs 11.25 says this, a, gener a generous person will be enriched, and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. So here's another characteristic. Do you, another characteristic. Do you have a faith that is partnered with works? You see, genuine faith is always accompanied by results. They go hand in hand. They're like stuck to the butt. Faith and works. If there aren't any results, then it's an empty and dead faith. And maybe you've heard this story before, but for those who haven't, the story goes, an old Scotsman operated a little rowboat for transporting passengers. One day, a passenger noticed that the old man had carved on one oar the word faith and on the other oar the word works. Curiosity led him to ask the meaning of this. The old man, being a well-balanced Christian and glad of the opportunity for testimony, said, I will show you. So he dropped the oar named Faith and pulled the other called Works. They went around in circles. Then he dropped the oar named Works and began to pull the oar called Faith. And the little boat went around in circles again, this time in the other direction, but still in a circle. After this demonstration, the old man picked up Faith and Works and pulling both oars together, sped swiftly over the water explaining to his inquiring passengers, you see, that's the way it is in the Christian life. Dead works without faith is useless, and faith without works is also, will also get you nowhere. But faith and works pulling together make for safety, progress, and blessing. Here's the other characteristic, third one. Do you have a faith from the heart? A believer with genuine faith believes in God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength. This kind of faith goes beyond human comprehension and intellect. Therefore, it's not really something you can earn. It's not really something you can learn. 
it's deep within the heart. And it's just in there. You, it, you know, you, it's hard to explain. You can try all you want, but if you have that love for the Lord, a heart for the Lord, it's just, it's in there. And you just, there are times like whether it's in worship or whether you're at home or wherever, you're saying your, your nightly prayers, you're, you're just in love. You're in love with the Lord. It's a faith that connects your heart to God's heart and distinguishes you from anything and anyone else that just simply knows that He exists. When you have a faith from the heart, your only desire, all you want to do is to follow Him and obey Him. And the more you follow and obey, the more that faith the more that faith will be displayed through your words and your actions. Well, we just saw James make the argument that faith without works is dead by asking a couple questions, illustrating it, and then drawing a conclusion. In the following section, he continues to make his point, but this time he approaches the topic indirectly, as if an imaginary opponent were arguing against that conclusion. So let's go to verse 18 and read what James has to say next. Chapter 2, James chapter 2, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one, good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person, are you, willing, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see, that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was credited to him credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that, that, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? Here again, James is writing as if someone were arguing against the the point he was making, that he had made that faith without works is a dead faith. This imaginary objector states in verse 18, you have faith and I have works. And in doing so, he's arguing two points of his own. His first point of argument is that faith and works are separate entities, separate gifts, which isn't necessarily wrong. Now let me explain. Paul does say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the Spirit sovereignly distributes gifts and that faith is one such gift. His second point of argument is, is that because of that, we can, he can have genuine faith without works. Now this second argument is a true issue behind his objection. Now, as he responds, 
James makes it clear that faith and works are not special gifts that a Christian may or may not have. In other words, he's going to show him that faith and works aren't optional like the other gifts. God doesn't give one person one or the other. He doesn't say, hey, you have works, but you don't have faith. You have faith, but you don't have works. That's not what... And, and, and James basically is going to make that argument here. That's not what God does here. He doesn't distribute... These aren't those kind of gifts. Now, he first responds to the imaginary objector by saying, show me your faith without works, and I will show you, I will show you faith by my works. James here is challenging his opponent's belief that faith can't be seen by works by asking him to prove his faith by what he does, which is something that James is more than willing to show him. He then goes on to compare the objector's mental belief in one God with that of demons. And what James is trying to convey here is that although it's important, it takes more than simply saying or knowing that God exists. You see, even demons believe in the existence of God. And they shudder at the thought of their eventual punishment by him. For example, in Matthew 8.29, a legion of demons told Jesus, what do you have to do with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? These demons believed in the fact that Jesus was the Son of God and were terrified at being tormented by him. So they knew. They knew who Jesus was. They knew that he was the Son of God. They understood. But here's the thing. Just because they believed Jesus was the Son of God doesn't mean they committed themselves to him and had a saving faith. Therefore, simply believing in the God of the Bible without actually committing, committing to him is meaningless, it's empty, and it's dead. It's a faith that's no different than the faith of demons. When a person truly believes in Jesus as Lord and Savior, it involves commitment of spirit, soul, and body. This commitment leads to a transformed life and will result in spirit-filled works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that when we trust in Christ, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now, as James continues, he shows the objector how there's a lack of understanding in his argument. He does this by turning back to the Old Testament scriptures to make his case that genuine faith is evident by the way it manifests itself into action. And he uses the stories of old, uh, two Old Testament characters as examples. Abraham offering Isaac, his son Isaac, as a sacrifice. And you can read that story in Genesis chapter 22. And Rahab hiding the Hebrew spies and helping them escape. And that story is found in Joshua chapter 2. 
Now, in regards to the story of Abraham, prior to Abraham offering Isaac, Genesis 15, 6 tells us that he already been justified by God because he believed God. Now, if you look at James 22 carefully, his actions were working in conjunction with his faith. There it says, faith was active together with his works. And by works, faith was made complete. James is saying that Abraham's faith was perfected by what he was ready to do. Therefore, Abraham's obedience didn't justify him before God. Since he was already justified, it justified him before us. It demonstrated his righteousness to all of us by by putting his faith into action. If your faith is real, it will show itself. How? By obeying the word, by obeying the word of God and following the leading of the Lord. Even though you may not understand it or you may not know where it's leading you, it's simply following Jesus by faith the leading of the Lord. At that time, Abraham could not have understood the significance of what he had done in Mount Moriah. There's no way he could have known what that meant. Or maybe he did, but he didn't understand the, the future, long-term significance. But we do on this side of Calvary. We see it as a perfect picture of what God the Father would do in sending His Son to the same mountain, to die for the sins of the world. You know that that you're truly born again when you find yourself obeying God. We're not saved by obedience, but but our obedience proves we're saved. For true faith works. Now the same could be said about Rahab, the prostitute. There in verse 25 again, it says, In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? The key distinguishing factor with her is that she came to genuine faith through hearing the stories of God's mighty acts on behalf of Israel. She she heard the stories. She heard the stories, the testimonies of what the awesome things that God did. And she believed. Rahab exemplified what it meant or what it means to have dynamic faith. Her mind knew the truth. Her heart was stirred by the truth. And her will acted on the truth. She proved her faith by her works. When you realize that small amount of information she had, you can see how truly marvelous her faith was. Now today, again, we have the full revelation of God through His Word and His Son. We live on the other side of Calvary, and we have the Holy Spirit to convict and teach us His Word. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, 
even more will be expected. Her faith, if you think about it, her faith is an indictment, is an indictment against the unbelief of sinners today who have heard, who have heard the truth, who know the truth, but refuse to act on it. Now, there's a lot we can learn from the stories of Abraham and, uh, and Rahab. But here's what I believe is the lesson James wants us to learn about those two characters. True and genuine faith, and genuine faith will, prompt, will prompt us in outward displays of love, sacrifice, generosity, and compassion. Otherwise, as James points out in verse 19, any faith we, prove, we profess, any, any faith that we profess to have is no different than that of demons. Now, let's also add this. Aside from these two Old Testament characters and all the others, for example, mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, I, I want to challenge you to, to, to do this. Find a book or an online article about some of the Christian men and women who made a great impact on the church throughout history and in the lives of people who needed Jesus Christ. As you read about them, make a note about what they all have in common, aside from Jesus Christ, of course. For me to this day, the common denominator that I personally discovered that their faith in Jesus was seen and felt not only by those they ministered to, but by generations after they passed away. You see, their goal wasn't to be rich or famous. That wasn't what they went into the ministry to do. That wasn't what they went into the mission field to do. That wasn't why they decided to, to start preaching the gospel to groups of people. They weren't expecting to be rich or famous or have buildings or universities named after them. They simply had a desire to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And say this, God, isn't, God is not looking for extraordinary characters as his instruments, but he's looking for humble instruments through whom he can be honored throughout the ages. Well, now in this final verse I'll be covering today, James summarizes the argument he's making with a beautiful statement. Verse 26 says this, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. James here concludes by reiterating the central theme of this passage, even this whole entire book. Faith without works is dead. Here, though, he draws out a simple picture that even a child would see and understand. He compares faith to the human body and works to the human spirit. Just as the human body without the spirit is lifeless, it's useless and valueless, faith without works is simply dead, ineffective, worthless. However, for a body to be active and alive, it must have a spirit. 
Likewise, faith in Christ must have works added to it, since works gives vitality and energy to faith. Again, we see that James is concerned not that works be added to faith, but that one possesses the right kind of faith, a faith that works. Without that kind of faith, Christianity becomes a barren orthodoxy and loses any right to be called faith. Martin Luther, in his preface to his contemporary, to his commentary of the Book of Romans, captured this message wonderfully when he wrote, Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing things incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, he has already done this and is constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. He gropes and looks around for faith and good works, but knows neither what faith is nor what good works are. Yet he talks and talks with many words about faith and good works. So if one of your chief goals, if one of your chief goals in life, in this life, is to be more like Jesus, then I think we must look at our Lord, Jesus Christ, and we must see how he exemplified faith a faith that works. Now, I could go on and on and on um, and, and show you example after example of how he showed a faith that works. But for the sake of time, I'll only be sharing three from the Gospel of John. In John chapter 2, Jesus' faith prompted him to tell his, the servants at a wedding to draw water from a well, which he later turned into wine. In John chapter 11, Jesus' faith prompted him to raise Lazarus from the dead. And in John chapter 17, Jesus' faith prompted him to freely give up his life to give all who believe in him eternal life. You see, just with these three examples alone, it should be obviously clear to all of us that if we truly desire to be more like him, then we ought to put our faith into action through outward displays of love, sacrifice, generosity, and compassion. We must have a faith that works. A faith without works is useless. It, can, it, can't be, it cannot be demonstrated. It cannot change a person it is not perfected, and it is dead. Our faith does not help us or others until it causes us to act. Once, a chaplain walked up to a wounded, a wounded soldier who had been lying on the ground some time and without anyone treating his wounds. The chaplain asked, Would you like for me to read to you from the Bible? No, came the angry reply. Is there anything else I can do for you? The chaplain asked. I'm thirsty, the soldier said. The chaplain gave him a drink of his own canteen. Anything else, he asked. I'm cold, came the reply. The chaplain took off his coat, 
and spread it over the soldier. Anything else? He again asked. My head is uncomfortable, was his reply. The chaplain chaplain took off his cap and arranged it under the soldier's head. The chaplain asked again, anything else? The soldier looked looked up at him and tears came to his eyes as he said, I think now I'd like to, for you to read to me from the Bible. So again, I ask you, what type of faith do you have? Is it a professing faith? Is it a kind of faith that you just say, I'm, I'm a Christian and everyone else is around me is a Christian and hey, I live in America, so I must be Christian. Is it a professing faith? Or is it a faith that is evident to everyone around you? Well, if after this message you've discovered that you haven't had a faith, or you haven't had a faith that works, let me encourage you that it's never too late to start showing genuine faith. If you really want to start showing genuine faith, but don't know how to begin, my best advice is just to simply start taking small steps of faith, baby steps, slow steps, things that you can do. Here are a few suggestions. Go to God in prayer and ask Him to give you the strength and courage to do His will. Find ways you can serve others or even here at the church with the spiritual gifts God has given you. Now, you may not know what those gifts are, but how else? A good way of knowing what those gifts are is by just trying different things. And believe me, as a new church, there are needs here. So find ways you can serve others. Keep in mind that regardless of what it may be, don't do it to make yourself look good. Don't do it because you want to get brownie points. Don't do it because you want to look good in front of others, because you, you want to seem spiritual, you want to look more high and mighty, or you want to you know, make yourself out to be better than others. Don't do it for that reason. Do it simply for the glory of God, for God's glory. Now there may be some of you I just realized that you really don't have faith at all. You don't have faith at all. And up to this point, you've never really believed. You've never had a saving faith in Jesus Christ. You've never fully trusted in Him. You've never surrendered yourself to Him. Maybe you've only had, a, you've had your parents' faith. Or a friend's faith. You've only been coming just because a friend's coming or because your parents came or are here. Or, um, but you don't truly have a saving faith. And now you realize, you know what? I, I need to have a faith. I need to have that real kind of faith. Well, let me tell you again that you, don't, that you can leave here today knowing for sure that you have genuine faith. And you can start living a life where faith, that, that, uh, a life with a faith 
that works. And how can you do that? By simply accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and being born again. How does that all that work? What does that mean? Again, you're watching, listening. Maybe you're, you, that your mind is going a million directions. And like, what do you mean by being born again? Well, simply it's this. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you're not perfect and you've sinned and you've fallen short of the glory of God. That you need a Savior. And you can't do it on your own. You have to come broken before He can fix you. And then once you acknowledge, once you admit, yeah, I'm a sinner, then you can ask for forgiveness. That's what God wants you to do, is just admit. Realize that you are wrong and that you're a sinner. Ask for forgiveness. Believe and confess in Jesus Christ. Believe that He's His Son and that He died for you and that He rose on the third day. Trust that He died on the cross for your sins. And just simply accept it. Simply accept that forgiveness. It's not that complicated. But it does take a big step of faith. We're so used to justifying our behavior and being stubborn and being prideful. But He wants us to come humble. He wants us to come broken. He wants us to, be, to come to Him empty. Why? So that He can fill us. So that He can fill you. So, if you've never done that, if you've never been filled, if you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior, if you've never, and you want to be born again, you want Him to come into your life and give you newness, to give you life, eternal life, Wherever you're at, close your eyes, bow your head, and just simply pray this with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Lord God, forgive me. I know that I've blown it. I know that I've messed up, Lord. I've fallen short. I admit that I'm a sinner and that there's nothing I can do personally, Lord, to make it right. So I come before you on my knees, broken, empty, and ask you to heal me. need you, Lord. I believe in Jesus. I believe he's your son. I believe he was raised from the dead. I confess him 
as my Lord and Savior. By faith, Lord, I receive your forgiveness. So now fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may walk with you, that I may understand, Lord, so that I may be in your joy. Give me a fresh vision. Give me new eyes, a new heart, a new mind, Lord. Make your home inside of me. Thank you, God, for, for bringing Jesus. I'm looking forward to walking with him for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've prayed that, let us know. Contact us. Call us. Send us an email. Um, I'm out there on Facebook and, and Twitter and all that stuff, and I'd be happy to, to chat with you and talk to you more about your next steps you can take wherever you may be I can help you find a new church but um, know this that if you've truly given your life to the Lord you're, there are angels celebrating in heaven right now that you're giving yourself to him now for those of us that are here take those baby steps just take them take those baby steps of faith I wouldn't be here right now. I wouldn't have been serving at my previous church had I not taken those steps. I had just rededicated my life. And the Lord was prompting me, hey, you know what, go talk to the pastor about helping out with the youth. I was like, oh, I hadn't done that in years. I hadn't hadn't been with the youth in, in, in over 10 years. And I was like, I don't know if I can handle that. So I, I prayed about it, continued to pray, and the Lord kept nudging me. And, and so I was like, okay, well, the worst they can say, the worst the pastor can say is no. And so I did. And he was like, yeah, okay. And he, I mean, I, he, I really believe the Lord is using him too, but he took a chance on me. And Anyways, again, it was just those small steps of faith that I took. And I continued to take more steps and more steps until the, one of the biggest steps I, take was, I took was to plant this church. And, and you know, God has been doing even a great thing with that. So I want to encourage you again, just you don't have to take these leap, giant leaps of faith, the small ones, small baby steps. Again, you start to see, you start to experience of faith that works. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning and thank you for everyone that's here. Thank you for allowing me to teach your word. Allowing me to preach from your word, Lord. I pray that everyone that heard this message, that is hearing this message, that it just impacted them, Lord. That it the word just the message went straight to the heart and that they're really considering everything that is being said Lord they may not have responded 
with that saving faith, but something has begun to stir within them, Lord. I pray that you continue to stir, continue to bring people into their lives to share your love, to show them how much you love them and what you did, the extent or how far you, you, you went to show them how much you love them. I pray for everyone here, Lord. You show them what their gifts are, that you will, that we just all will be prompted, Lord. That we'll all be led to, to help one another, to serve one another, to, to find ways to, to serve here in the church, Lord. Thank you for having us here. Continue to guide us and show us what where we're to go next, Lord. Um, how to continue just to minister to the to to others, to the community. Lord, we want to serve you. We want to be a light here. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>